You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this evening I want to look at Psalm 25, and so if you would, I know you're all Bible scholars, grab your Bibles or your tablet and run over to Psalm 25, and we're going to cover the whole psalm this evening. And if you're a note taker, I would title this study, Seeking the Lord's Guidance, Seeking the Lord's Guidance. Let me pray, and then we'll jump into the text. Well, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Lord, we recognize the great privilege that we have to possess your word in its fullness, each and every one of us that is listening this evening. We have multitudes of Bibles in our homes. We have Bibles on our phones and and access on the internet. And Lord, we recognize that so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world have been denied access to the Bible. And so Lord, we want to take a moment to thank you for the privilege that we have to own your word and to be able to read it and study it whenever we like. Lord, this evening as we turn our attention to this psalm, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, grant us a mind that is quick to comprehend the truths that are revealed. And most important, Lord, a heart that is open to receive what you want to speak to us tonight by way of encouragement, exhortation, and correction. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, the title of this study this evening, at least as I perceive Psalm 25, is Seeking the Lord's Guidance. And I think it's an appropriate study as we are into our, what, fifth, sixth, seventh week now of our stay-at-home directive. And as I've been calling people in the fellowship and talking to different ones in the fellowship, I've discovered that many people have told me that they're using this time of forced reflection to do just that to spend time contemplating the direction of their life and to contemplate what it is that they're doing with their life. And so one of the side benefits completely unexpected to this shutdown is that we have had a pause button pushed, if you will, in our life, and we've been forced to stop and really think about the things that we do in life and what's important in life. And so, for example, if during this current shutdown you have lost your job or maybe been sent home because your school was closed, Suddenly, you are now have an opportunity to use this time to really seek the Lord's wisdom and guidance. Was the job that you just lost really, in fact, where the Lord wanted you, or was that just kind of a temporary holdover, moving you towards the place that he ultimately wants you to be? This is a great time to spend time praying and seeking the Lord's guidance to find out the job that you lost, is that where he wants you, or does he have some new direction in life? If you're a student in your home, perhaps this is an opportunity then to ask the Lord, are you going in the right direction? In other words, is the major that you've declared actually what God has in mind for you, or are you just doing something because it was easy and it was the lowest or easiest curriculum choice to get a degree? And so now is a great time to really be seeking the face of the Lord and asking Him for direction. For many of us, I think, we've probably discovered that during this shutdown, that we've 
run through all of the binge watching we can do on Hulu and Netflix and whatever other kind of service that you have. And having run out of all of those things, we now find ourselves forced to do what some people are resistant to do, and that is to pick up a book and read. And I would encourage you that this is a great time to spend in reflection with the Lord, looking into His Word, but also to be open to the leading of the Spirit to consider some of the great treasures that God has given us that have been penned by the heroes of the, of the faith in the last 2,000 years. And so this evening, as we look at the psalm before us, what we find is that David is seeking the Lord's wisdom and guidance in his life and also forgiveness because he finds himself in a difficult place and he recognizes that if he wants to hear from the Lord, if he wants direction from the Lord, he needs to be in a place of forgiveness. In other words, clean before the Lord. And as we read through this psalm, I think you'll notice immediately the confidence with which David addresses the Lord. In other words, he comes to the Lord asking for direction, asking for guidance in those important decisions in life, and he is absolutely confident that God will hear and that God will respond. That is, David is sure that if he comes to the Lord in prayer with the right attitude and in right standing, the Lord will speak and the Lord will give him direction. But I also want us to notice we work this on that David does not make the assumption that God is bound to answer the prayers of just anyone. That is, David recognizes that God answers the prayers of those who come to him with the right heart attitude and in a right standing before him. That is, David had come to understand in his own experience, and we find in the pages of Scripture this repeated theme that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so this evening, as we work through the psalm, I hope, I pray that there is application for you this evening. In fact, I'm sure there will be. But I want to encourage you that if you are seeking the Lord's direction during this time, that we need to come with an attitude of humility and repentance. And if we're in a place of willful disobedience, that we make sure that we repent of that so that we can hear from the Lord. And let me just draw a little application before we even jump into the psalm. I would guess again that many of you are currently seeking the Lord's direction in life. But if not, I know that at some point previous to this current shutdown, that you have sought the Lord's will for your life concerning direction for a job, a career, a spouse, the place you're going to live, the ministry that you're going to pursue. And I can guarantee that if you're not currently seeking the Lord's direction in life, that there will come a time in the days ahead, in the months and the weeks ahead, in your future, when you will want to know the Lord's direction for your life. So my exhortation is this. Psalm 25 provides application for each and every one of us tonight. And I think you're going to find this psalm to be an invaluable tool as it reveals to us how it is that you can hear from the Lord. And so as we work this passage, I want to encourage you to take a spiritual inventory in your own life to see if you're in that right place, the right attitude, and in a right place spiritually that your ears can hear the answer that the Lord has as you seek his direction. Well, look at verse 1 and 2, our first point. David writes this. He says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, and you might underline and, and, and highlight this next section. He says, I trust in you. He says, let me not be ashamed and let not my enemies triumph over me. 
We want to stop there and look at our first point. And that is David tells us that the person who is seeking the Lord's direction must first trust in the Lord. That is, David understands that as he's dealing in a difficult situation in his own life, and as we see in verse 2, many enemies have risen up against him, he begins his prayer for direction by first and foremost laying a foundation by communicating, acknowledging that he trusts the Lord. And the point is simply this, that the person to whom God speaks is the person who actually believes that God is and that God cares and that God will answer our prayers. In other words, that he is listening and that he will respond. In other words, prayer is more than just words that are spoken into the air. No, no, no. Words that we express in prayer are words of faith by which we express our trust in God. In other words, when we come to God in prayer, the person who knows the Lord, like David, trusts that the Lord is listening and will respond. I think of that famous scripture in Hebrews 11 that that we all quote, verse 6, where the author of Hebrews writes this. He says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The author of Hebrews then echoes what David is praying in verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 25. The foundation of a relationship with the Lord, a foundation of hearing and receiving direction from the Lord is to express trust in the Lord. In other words, a prayer that is prayed in rote or in ritual, a prayer that is just words repeated off a page, is of no effect because God answers the prayers of those who truly believe that he is, that he cares, and that he can, and that he will respond. And so our first point, it's a simple point, but an important point is this, that we need to acknowledge that God speaks to those who trust in him. Well, the question this evening for you and I, simple point, but a a little more difficult question. Do you, do I, really trust in the Lord? Now, I know the audience I'm speaking to. If you've tuned in this evening and are watching on Facebook or or on our website, uh, I'm going to guess that 99.99% of the people that are watching are already born-again believers. So it seems kind of like a, 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 a question that's inappropriate. Do you really trust in the Lord? But the reality is that all day, every day, in Christendom, in church, in ministry, in life, you and I as believers, we express with our words that we trust the Lord, but then we don't live it. We live as practical atheists. My point is this, a well-known illustration, forgive me, I know you've heard it, but I can wax eloquent about the physics of a parachute. Oh, I understand the physics. (laughs) I even understand the statistical reliability of parachutes. But I have never in my entire life strapped a parachute onto my body and jumped out of a perfectly good aircraft. (laughs) Oh, no, I am not interested. And so when I talk about parachutes, oh, I can wax eloquent theoretically, but when it comes to really putting my trust in that puppy, I am not jumping out of a good airplane. Now, if the plane's on fire, absolutely. But if it's not on fire, no way. Well, here's the point. The same is true as as regards our faith and our trust in the Lord. We can speak with great theological conviction and biblical admonition and point to the heroes of the faith throughout the history of the church and the history of Israel, wax eloquent about all the ways that we trust in the Lord. But the reality is, do we actually step out in faith? When the Lord calls us, when he opens an opportunity, or is it just talk? 
No, here's the reality. Real trust in the Lord requires an expression of faith. Peter had to get out of the boat. David had to run to the giant. You and I have to respond to the open door. And I'll get into this in a little more detail later, but the reality is that when the Lord opens the door, when he gives us an opportunity, he doesn't give us a clear roadmap for the rest of our lives. No, we just see a door that's open, and sometimes it's just a crack. And all we know is we're supposed to go or step out. We don't know how the rest is going to work out. And that's where true trust in God comes in. So number one, the Lord speaks to those who trust in him. Our second point is this, verse 3. David writes, indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. You might underline that. No one who waits on you be ashamed. Let them be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Here's David's point. God speaks to those who trust in him and then wait on him for an answer. In other words, David reminds us that the person to whom God guides, the person whom God delivers, the person to whom God speaks is the person who is willing to wait then for God's answer. Wait for him to respond. And here's the point. (laughs) In our human nature, and I know this to be true of myself, and I'm sure for many of you, Our human nature is that we grow impatient and our timetable usually doesn't match the timetable of the Lord. And so we ask for direction and we ask for what we think is an appropriate number of times or days or weeks or months or whatever, and then we decide, okay, I guess I'm just supposed to freelance, do this on my own, and we rush ahead without God's clear direction. Oh, I think of the classic illustration recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 13. I know you're familiar with it. You're a well-taught congregation. But let me just remind you of of the context and the situation. Oh, we find King Saul facing the enemies of God. And Samuel the prophet has told him, I'm going to come and we'll make a sacrifice to the Lord. And then we'll engage the enemy. And he gave him a time. But Samuel delayed, and so King Saul, because the people were anxious and began to scatter from him, he took it upon himself to do what only the prophet and the priest was supposed to do, and that was to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And as soon as the fire was licking upon the sacrifice and the smoke rising, here comes Samuel. And Samuel rebukes Saul and removes the kingdom from Saul, and God then gives it to David. Here's the admonition for all of us this evening. We need to wait on the Lord, even when the circumstances in life and the pressure of people might compel us to go ahead without a clear answer or direction from the Lord. No, it's always best to wait for the Lord. In other words, to wait for his timing, for his clear direction. Here's the application. Again, anytime we're looking at the Word, we want to look for application. In my life, in your life, do we really wait for the Lord to answer our prayers? Now, again, I know the audience I'm speaking to, I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters in Christ, but the reality is that most of the time, well, at least in my life, I find myself anxious to get moving. I'm probably a little OCD or ADHD or whatever the terminology is, but I want to get things moving. I want to get working. I want to do something. But I think we're all guilty of asking God about some decision in life, a direction that we think we're called to go in, the person we're supposed to marry, the place we're supposed to live, the ministry we're supposed to pursue, the degree that I'm supposed to get. 
And then after waiting for what we think is an appropriate amount of time, we just go ahead with what we think is best. And for all of you who have done that, like me, don't we discover then that having not waited for the Lord, we always make a mess of things. David reminds us in verse 3 that we will never be ashamed and will save ourselves a whole lot of heartache and trouble if we wait on the Lord. Now, let me give a caveat, and that is this. The other side of the coin is this. There are some people who will wait forever. (laughs) In other words, they pray and they seek the Lord's direction. The Lord opens a door. There's a clear path to go, but because they can't see down the road and around the corner and over the next hill, they wait. In other words, God's opened a door. He's given them direction, but they don't move. So the other side of this is, To wait on the Lord does not mean we wait for full and complete revelation. Oh, no, we look at the heroes of the faith. We start with Abraham and move all the way through, and God would give them just one step at a time. And once they'd obeyed that step, then he gives them the next revelation. And the same is true in our lives. We ask for direction to the Lord. He doesn't give us a roadmap. He just gives us the next right thing to do. So don't wait for the roadmap. If you do, you'll find in life that you never, ever do anything that is of value. And then one more point about waiting, and that is this. When we pray, we need to recognize that we don't know what's going on in the spirit realm. In other words, we pray and we we believe that God's going to answer immediately, kind of like a microwave, push 15 seconds and boom, it's done. But the reality is there are things going on in the spirit realm that can hinder the answer to our prayers that we aren't aware of. Now, you're all familiar with this section in Daniel chapter 10, but let me just remind you, Daniel is praying for revelation, and it doesn't come. And then finally, the angel Gabriel shows up, and in verse 12 of chapter 10, here's what Gabriel tells Daniel. He says, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, listen, your words were heard and I have come because of your words. So from the moment that Daniel prays, God dispatches Gabriel with an answer. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left alone there with the kings of Persia. And now I have come, make, come to make known to you what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. And so the instruction, the point of Daniel chapter 10 is this. We pray God hears immediately. And he may have even dispatched an answer. But we don't know what's going on in the spirit realm, so don't lose heart or believe that God hasn't heard or that God hasn't answered if there's a delay. We don't know what God's purpose and plans are, and we don't know what's going on in the spirit realm. So point two is this. When we seek the Lord's direction, we need to wait on the Lord. Number three, David tells us, look at verse four and five, and notice the the action words he has here. He says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. The third point then is for those who are seeking the Lord's direction, for those who want God's guidance, is that we need to ask him. We need to speak it. We need to pray it. We need to articulate it. 
Notice in verse 4 and 5, David says, show me the way. He says to God, teach me the path. He says, lead me in the truth. You notice that show me, teach me, lead me the path, the way. He's looking for direction, but he articulates in his prayer. In other words, David is reminding us that God wants us in our prayers to come before him and to actually make the request. As our heavenly father, he wants us as his children to ask him that he might answer us. In fact, we have this promise in James chapter 1, verse 5, where our dear friend James writes this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. In other words, we have the promise of Scripture that if we ask, God will respond. That with Psalm 25 that we've just read might cause us to scratch our head and wonder, well, wait a minute, if God is omniscient and knows everything, <laughs> which he does, why in the world do I need to vocalize it? Why do I need to speak it out loud? Well, I think there are probably many theological reasons. Let me just give you three. Number one, I believe it's because it blesses our Heavenly Father to be able to respond to our request. I'm reminded of Luke 11, 11 through Luke eleven thirteen, where Jesus said, listen, if any of you ask bread from a father among you, will you give him a stone? And of course, the implied answer is, of course not. If your child wants bread, you give him bread, not a rock. Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead? And again, the, the implied answer is, of course you wouldn't do that as a loving father. Verse 12, or if, you ask for, or if you ask for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? Of course not. And then verse 13, Jesus says, if you then, being evil, the idea, the comparison, the contrast between fallen man, even at their best, and a perfect and a holy father, he says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, listen, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I understand the context, asking for the Holy Spirit, but with Psalm 25 and James chapter 1, I want to encourage you that the Lord desires us to ask of him. In other words, to come to him as his little children, as a father and say, Daddy, would you give me direction? Would you help me to understand? I want to know your will so that I can walk in it. And of course, it blesses the Lord for us to ask so that he can respond so that we can then walk in his perfect will. And so like an earthly father who loves to get good, give good gifts to their children, so too our heavenly father wants us to ask that he might bless us. Number two, it brings glory to Christ. That is, when we ask aloud, when we make our prayers known, it gives the Lord an opportunity to testify of his power and of his greatness and of his goodness and to bring glory to Christ. By way of example, I think of John's gospel, chapter 11. And you know the account. It's Lazarus has passed away. He's been buried in, in, in the tomb for a number of days, and his sister Mary and Martha are weeping. Jesus shows up. They take him to the graveyard, and Jesus then is going to bring Lazarus back to life. Now, we know how it all ends, but think about this. The reality is that Jesus did not have to speak a word. Jesus could have thought the thunk, thunk the thought, right? And Lazarus would have been healed. Lazarus would have come forth. But listen to how the account reads. John chapter 11, verse 41. It says, they took the stone from the place where the dead man was laying and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. 
And I know that you always hear me. Now listen to what he says. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, Jesus did not have to say, Lazarus, come forth. He could have just thought that command and Lazarus would have obeyed. Jesus could have done it while he was still days away before he even arrived at the, the home of Martha and Mary. But he uses this opportunity to bring glory to himself. And in verse 33, we read that now when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came bound hand and foot with grave cloths, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. My point is this. David's point is this. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, David reminds us that sometimes God wants us to ask in part, in other words, to verbalize our request, to make known our request, so that the unbeliever might see the power of God demonstrated in our lives in a real and a practical way that they can see, that they can understand, and that will draw them to Christ. Third reason, I think, that the Lord would have us to ask, in other words, to articulate our request, is that it demonstrates our dependence upon God. In other words, both the scriptures that we just looked at in Luke 11 and John 11 remind us that there's an implied proper attitude on the part of the people asking. That is, the person who desires to know God's will for their life by the very act of asking for direction, James 1, Psalm 25, right, communicates that they don't know the direction themselves. In other words, they're acknowledging, listen, I don't know what to do. And I am dependent upon you, God, who know all things, who possesses all power, who can see the, the beginning from the end to show me the right path. Now, the reality is this. The proud don't ask for directions. <laughs> the reality is that they don't ask for help even from God. On the other hand, as we read in Psalm 25, as we read in James chapter 1, the humble in heart are all too happy to ask for directions and all too happy to acknowledge, listen, I am dependent on you because I don't know what to do in life and where to go or how to even walk in front of this people. And so I'm going to express my dependence by articulating with my words my prayer, my request, my dependence upon you. Oh, we all know the psalm, Psalm 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. But what? Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he shall direct the paths. In other words, it's to acknowledge him and to, and to express our dependence on him for direction. Let me illustrate it this way. <laughs> Back in 2002, my three younger brothers and I, we got to fulfill a childhood dream and that is we got to spend a, a couple of weeks cycling through Europe. We bicycled from Amsterdam to Paris. Uh, not the short way, which is Amsterdam south of Paris. No, no. We decided we want to take the long way, so we went the opposite direction. We went Amsterdam and went directly east to the Rhine River, and then down the Rhine River, back west across Belgium, and then finally turned south to go to Paris. Over 1,000 kilometers. That's over 660 miles. Now, while we were in Belgium, we came to a roundabout. And for whatever reason, Modesto loves roundabouts. <laughs> I have to confess that when we moved from here in 1994, I don't think there was a single roundabout 
in the Central Valley. We move back, and there's a roundabout almost at every intersection. Now, I happen to like them, but nonetheless, not everybody knows how to use them. <laughs> but in Europe, roundabouts are a lot more sophisticated. It's not just a single lane or two lanes. There are four, five, six lanes, and you have buses and trains and cars and bikes and walkers and joggers and dogs going through this. So it's kind of, a, kind of intimidating for, for a neophyte, a newbie like myself and my brothers, to hit something like that and to try to find your way through. Well, while we were in Belgium, we were trying to get to the city of our shot. And we got to a, a, an intersection, this, this roundabout. I have the photograph, if you're interested in seeing it. I'm standing under a sign that is probably eight feet tall and 16 feet wide, and it shows the roundabout. It says, our shot, our shot, our shot. <laughs> Wait a minute. How many our shots are in Belgium are there? Is there one city? Is there three cities? <laughs> and so literally, we spent the next hour and a half, take the first exit. That wasn't it. Come back. Take the second exit. That wasn't it. Take the third exit. We never found our shot. We had to stop and ask for directions. We had to articulate our dependence upon a local person from Belgium who was able to navigate us through the confusion of their road signs to finally get us out of wherever we were to the city of our shot. Here's the point. When it comes to seeking direction in life, we need to ask the Lord. In other words, we can't just assume that he knows what we want in our hearts. By the way, he does. But he wants us to articulate it, as David tells us. All right, we're going to grab a bunch of verses here in our fourth point. Verse 6 and 7, then we'll skip ahead and grab 16 to 22 to make this next point. In verse 6, David cries out, Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are of old. And then underline highlight verse 7. Notice what he writes. Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. Amen? <laughs> According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Now skip ahead to verse 16 because he kind of picks up that same theme in verses 16 to 22. He says, turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and I am afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain, and then notice again, and forgive my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with a cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me, and let me not be ashamed, for I have put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles." My point here, and you'll notice there's kind of a repetition of some of the previous points we've made here in, the song, in these verses, that we find David here pleading with God, verse 7, verse 18, to not remember the sins of his past, not to deal with them on the basis of his sinful nature, not to deal with them on the basis of the sins that he's actually committed, but instead to deal with them on the basis of his mercy and grace. In other words, David is appealing for God's direction based on his forgiveness, his mercy, his loving kindness. Because David had come to know this truth. As it's written in Psalm 66, verse 18, where the psalmist cries out, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And here in our point in verses 6, 7, 16, and through 22, David understood 
and acknowledges that God is under no obligation to entertain and to answer the prayers of the person, the man, the woman, or the child who is unrepentant and willfully disobeying the Lord. Brother David acknowledges, don't remember my sins. Forgive my sins. Deal with me in mercy. Wash me, cleanse me. Because he understood that God opens his ear, God opens his heart to those who acknowledge their sin and then ask for the Lord to forgive them of that sin. The Bible tells us from cover to cover that God desires for us to be open and honest in our prayer to him, to be open about our our sinful uh, behavior, our sinful thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. However, David warns, if we are asking for help and direction, while we're willfully involved in sin, in other words, we're in an unrepentant condition, then David warns that God is under no obligation to respond to us because that could only then encourage us to continue our sinful behavior. The solution then in my life and your life is that if we are today in some unrepentant sin, some sinful behavior that the Lord has been speaking to us about, then we need to begin by confessing those sins, acknowledging those sins, and repenting. That means turning from them so that we might hear from the Lord. Once we're right with the Lord, he is then free to respond to our request for direction and guidance. By way of application, can I encourage you, and I hope this is, is not going to have direct application to anyone listening tonight, but I want to encourage us that we ought not to think for a, a moment that God is going to give me or God is going to give you new direction in life if we are not already obeying what he has made clear in his word. In other words, from Genesis to Revelation, God reveals what we call his moral law. It predates the Mosaic law. It's, the, it's that moral law that was, that was sown in the very fabric of creation. Do not steal, do not kill, do not commit murder. All these things that we're not supposed to do. The moral law of God. The reality is that we know what God's will is, and if we are in disobedience to what he's revealed in his written word, we cannot expect then that he's going to give us fresh and new direction when we haven't even obeyed what he's already told us to do. You see, the reality is if we're not obeying what he's already told us, there is no guarantee that we'll obey him in whatever new direction that he gives us in his life, in our lives. And so, the fourth point here is that God speaks to those who are forgiven. Well, our fifth and final point is this, that God speaks to those who are submitted to him. Back to verse 8, and we'll pick up verse 8 to 15. David writes, good and upright is the Lord, and therefore he teaches sinners in the way. Now, look at verse 9 and, and highlight this. The humble he guides in justice. And the humble he teaches his way. Notice the directions there. He's guiding, he's directing, he's leading. Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Verse 12, highlight this. Who is the man that fears the Lord, David asks? In other words, it's a question to you and I, the reader. Answer, him he shall teach in the way he chooses. In other words, the man, the woman that fears the Lord, that's the person to whom the Lord will direct, to whom the Lord will answer the request for guidance. 
Verse 13, he himself shall dwell in prosperity and his descendants shall inherit the earth. Verse 14, highlight this one. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. Verse 15, my eyes are ever toward the Lord for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. In other words, deliver David from the trap that he had found himself in. Here's the, here's the point. David tells us that God speaks to, God guides, God directs, God leads those who are submitted to him. And that ought to be obvious because we understand intuitively and from the scripture that God does not guide rebels. But it's his joy to lead and direct those who, like we've just read in David, who are humble in heart and who acknowledge that they need God. In other words, who are surrendered to his will and to follow him in whatever direction that he might then lead us. Now, the most obvious reason, at least in my mind, is that God directs the humble, those who have submitted to him, is that the reality is that those who are submitted to God are all too happy to respond to the direction that God gives. Contrasted to the wicked, the rebel, who even if God gave direction is not going to listen and not follow God's direction. By way of example, I think of Jehoshaphat and Ahab as recorded in 1 Kings 22, a very instructive chapter concerning seeking the Lord's direction. Oh, you recall the incidents, Jehoshaphat, a good and a godly king, but a man who was always looking to build bridges and sometimes uh, was a little too nice, a little too compromised in his, in his desire to build bridges and to make friendships. Well, he had come to, to see Ahab, the wicked king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and during their conversation, King Ahab reminds Jehoshaphat that one of the cities of Israel, Ramoth-Gilead, is under the possession of one of their enemies. And so Ahab, just as part of the conversation, says to Jehoshaphat, will you help me go up to reclaim Ramoth-Gilead from my enemies? And Jehoshaphat, with, without hesitation, says, of course, my men are as your men, my troops are as your troops. But then wisely says, let's ask the Lord if we should do this. So it sounds great, right? Jehoshaphat says, let's ask the Lord for direction. And then Ahab brings out all of his false prophets, and they, with one accord and in one spirit, say, go up and conquer, and it's all good, it's all glory, it's all victory. But Jehoshaphat suspects something, is it right? Because he looks around, all he sees is these pagan practitioners. There is not a man of God amongst them. And so he says to Ahab, is there not yet a prophet of God in our midst? In other words, is there not anybody that can actually ask for the Lord's direction? And Ahab says, well, there's one guy, but I don't like him because he never gives me, you know, good and, and comfy and, and nice direction. And Jehoshaphat says, oh, don't say that. Let's bring him in. Well, you know this story. The prophet comes in and, and the prophet uh, goes up uh, uh, goes up before them. And the question in verse 15 is this. Now listen to their question. And then he, that is the prophet of God, came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? So in context with what we're talking about, God speaks and God guides to those who submit to him. Well, they just asked the question, 1 Kings 22, verse 15, should we or shouldn't we? Show us the way, yes or no? It's a pretty simple question. As you read the account, what we find is that even though the prophet of God gives clear direction, that is, if you go to war, Ahab, you're going to die, and the people of Israel will be scattered. 
nonetheless, Ahab goes to war. Now, now that we expect. <laughs> he, he was a wicked king and ungodly king, a compromised king. He, he, he could care less what, what the true and living God would speak concerning guidance. But the shocking reality, as we read 1 Kings 22, is that the good and godly king Jehoshaphat also goes to battle, though he knows that God has said, don't do it. Now, here's where God's grace and mercy comes in. As we read the story, we find that the rebel, that is Ahab, who ignored God's word, was in fact killed in battle. On the other hand, we find the humbled, that is Jehoshaphat, the man of God, the true follower of God, who though he went in disobedience, God spared his life, as David tells us, because of God's mercy and grace. Here's my point. God spoke loud and clear. He answered their question, but they chose to ignore. Brothers and sisters, can I exhort and encourage this tonight? Listen, as a pastor and as a Christian, over these last 40 plus years that I've walked with the Lord, I cannot tell you how many times I've sat with a person or sat with a couple or sat with people who have asked for the Lord's direction. You take them to chapter and verse where God's direction, God's will is absolutely clear and they reject it because it does not fit the lifestyle they want to live or it doesn't accommodate the sin that they want to hold on to. May we not be that person, but may we be like David who are submitted to him and willing to go in whatever direction he guides us. And so I close with this. Do you want to hear from the Lord? I think there is probably a chorus, or at least I hope there is, yes, right? We all want to know the Lord's will for life, not just for today, but for tomorrow and the rest of our days until he takes us to eternity. We want to know his will, that we might do his will. We want to know his direction, that we might follow his path. And as I mentioned in the introduction, many of you during this extended time of pause may be looking at reevaluating your your career, your your choice of school, uh, your ministry, your spiritual life, and looking at considering asking God for direction. Can I encourage you? Listen. If you've not yet prayed, you need to do so. In other words, ask the Lord for direction. And if you have prayed and have not heard a clear direction from the Lord, then would you do as I encourage at the beginning and just do a little spiritual inventory. Ask yourself, am I listening to the Lord? In other words, David reminds us he speaks to those who trust in him. Do you trust the Lord? Do you really trust? In other words, Whatever direction are you willing to go? He speaks, David tells us, to those who wait on him. Are we willing to wait for the direction and guidance that he's promised? Number three, he speaks to those who ask of him. In other words, have we articulated? Have we, have we been specific asking for the direction that we seek? David tells us, number four, he speaks to those who are forgiven by him. And number five, he speaks to those who are submitted to him. If all these things are in order in your life, in other words, you talking to the Lord and allowing the Holy Spirit to search us and try our heart. If these things are in order, you can be confident that the Lord has heard, the Lord has answered, and now we just wait for that answer to come so that we might respond. But again, if he's responded, the door is open. You just don't see the whole path. If the door is open, you go. In other words, it's time to move, no longer waiting. 
One final point, and that is this. If you want to do a little more reading on the topic, may I recommend a book? You're at home. You've already binged out on all of the different, uh, you know, Hulu and Netflix, whatever other services you might have. Time to read some books. Here's a great book about finding God's direction in your life. The title of the book is called Finding Your Way, Discovering God's Best for Your Life. It's written by a friend of mine, Gary LaFerla, Calvary Chapel pastor, now a, a private businessman. Let me just give you a little background. Uh, he was an advisor to Pastor Chuck Smith, an advisor to Raul Reese, an advisor to Greg Glory concerning the first Harvest Crusades, concerning uh, some of the projects that Pastor Chuck was involved in, all that. Later in life, he was an advisor to President George Bush. So the guy has a little credibility here. But what I love about this book is it's very accessible, quick and easy read, and it's very biblical. And unlike some other books I've read, he gives a nice biblical balance between the direction we find on the written pages of Scripture, but also believing in the gifts of the Spirit for today that God guides us through divine revelation, through circumstance, situation, through a, a divine utterance, a prophecy, word of knowledge, etc. And so a great book. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. And again, it's a great read. He's a wonderful brother, and I think you'll find it helpful. Well, let's close in prayer and ask the Lord that he might give us the direction that we're seeking from him. Well, Father, we thank you for our time this evening to worship you as we have done, to study your word and to look at what David writes for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit here in Psalm 25. And Father, what we pray now is that you would speak to us, each of us, and show us the application in our lives. Father, we don't want to walk away having looked into the mirror of your word and forget what we've seen. But Lord, we want your word to find an open and a, and a, and a rich soil in our hearts where your word can be planted, that it could be watered by your spirit and produce good fruit. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who may be watching this evening who are presently seeking your will. Father, would you walk them through Psalm 25, do that spiritual inventory that David has given us, and then seek you directly for the path that you have for our lives in whatever decision that my brothers and sisters might be praying about. And Father, would you make clear your will and then give us the faith to follow wherever you lead and to recognize the opportunities and the doors you've opened. Lord, bless each and every one of my brothers and my sisters. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Paul Lester. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Paul's teaching ministry by visiting ccmodesto.com.